Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. Our scripture lesson this morning is from Jonah, uh, chapter 1, verses 17 and 2 through chapter 2, 10. Now the Lord provided a large, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful pleasure and praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. Amen. Amen. Well, as, as I always do, I encourage you this, this day to have your bulletins handy. There's spots for, uh, to write down prayer requests, but there's always spots to write notes so that when the Spirit speaks to you, because I know that God's Spirit will speak to you today, that you can write those things down. Uh, so that you don't forget them. Uh, so I encourage you to have those. And then I also will remind you that, that if any time during the message something comes up and you're like, I, boy, that is a really good question. Uh, my phone number is in the bulletin. You can text me that question. I uh, don't know, like I said, if I will get to it right then, uh, but we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do about answering those questions. Uh, and so uh, I ask that you would pray with me today. Gracious and almighty God, I... I thank you for calling us together to hear your message. And so, God, I ask that you, would, uh, that you would speak through me, that, God, that the words that I speak would no longer be my own, but that they would be your words and your message for your people. Open up our hearts and minds today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week, uh, last week I gave you the Cliff Notes version of this story. And so let's try the lightning round this time. Jonah hears the voice of God, decides he knows better, runs away from God, tossed overboard, becomes a big fish's lunch, 
confesses, gets spit up on shore. Then he hears the same voice with the same message. This time he obeys. Preaches destruction. People repent. Mission accomplished. accomplished. Jonah is ticked off. There's, there's the story of Jonah. Four chapters in, uh, in a matter of just a few sentences. Now, I'm sure that there are some details that, that are in there that have been left off, but don't worry. We'll get to them. Especially the part where Jonah finds himself on the outskirts of town, sulking in his anger. That will be our focus on week four. And next week, we get to talk about God's grace. But for now, I want to try to understand why Jonah didn't want to take God's message to the great city of Nineveh. The words we heard last week were, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. So four things. Four things we know about this story in this sentence. Jonah is told to do something. God tells him to go somewhere. However, in the ESV translation that, that I have here, is, uh, there's a word that comes before go. And that is, he is told to arise and go. Get up. Stop laying around, doing nothing. God has something important that he needed done, and that was Jonah's task. And we heard last week that when God asked us to do something, we should follow through with it and obey God's call. I know that I learned that the hard way. Well, next we hear about this great city called Nineveh. But what made it so great? Obviously, it wasn't great when it came to speaking of justice and mercy, of living a highly moral life. In the words shared, we hear that Nineveh was great in size, a large city full of people. What we don't hear, but something that the Israelites would have heard because they knew this town, they probably knew it well. It was a large city, as I said, in the Assyrian Empire. Definitely not one that the Jewish people would have liked. Nineveh would have, would have been worse than Samaria. And we know how the Samaritans were viewed. Jesus had a conversation with a woman from Samaria, and the disciples just about lost their minds. The Assyrians would have been considered an enemy of the Israelites. And therefore, the city of Nineveh would have been full of people who were Jonah's enemies. It's no wonder why Jonah would have thought twice about going to that town. First, out of safety for his own life. But then, preaching this message of destruction. I mean, speaking of the message, how would you feel about going to a place where you do not feel safe? And telling the people that they've been really bad and that God was going to judge them for how they were living, you were supposed to tell them that they were all going to die. What a wonderful, grace and love filled message of hope. Yeah, not so much. I know that if I had to do that, I would have been looking for the nearest and safest exit, stage right even. 
But this is the message that Jonah was supposed to deliver. Now, I'm not sure if I've ever been given one of those messages. Some might have been close. I've been worried about how God's messages would have been received. What others would think of me for saying what God has placed on my heart. But I'm still called to preach it. The people of Nineveh have been bad. So much so that we hear that their wickedness had come up before God. God takes notice of what is happening in Nineveh. And God doesn't like it. But as we will hear about next week, God had compassion on them. His message of hope and grace and love is for everybody. But our focus this week is on how Jonah views the town and more importantly, the people in the town. It's interesting that in the first chapter we find a conversation between Jonah and the sailors on the ship, if you remember. We know that the sailors are different because they are all worshiping different gods as they prayed and made sacrifices so that the storms would subside. But when it came time to ask Jonah to do the same, they asked some pretty interesting questions. What's your job? Where do you come from? What country? What kind of people are you? When I hear this list of questions, I'm reminded of Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. Three questions are about Jonah's origin. The odd one is asking him about his job, what occupation he had. It's obviously that they wanted to know about who Jonah was. They wanted to know his nationality, his ethnicity, his culture, his race. One thing this tells me is that when he paid his fare and boarded the ship, no one was interested in any of those factors. It didn't matter if he was just like the others on the ship. They didn't think about it until the storm. The other thing that it tells me, especially as we hear the full story, is that Jonah is a man all alone. God calls him to go to Nineveh, the Assyrians, definitely not the Israelites. But he goes the other way, gets on a boat full of people from different cultures and different ethnicities. It sounds like Jonah is the only one from his culture there. You could even look at his time in the fish, as he is not with anyone even in his species at that moment. Jonah is alone, except for that little voice in his head. Notice then that the sailors, the Ninevites, and the fish all accepted Jonah into their presence. But it was Jonah who didn't want to be with any one of them. When he got on the ship, he went to the lower places, quite possibly to get away from everyone else on board. And of course, the reason he was on the boat in the first place is that he didn't want to go anywhere near the Ninevites. Jonah didn't like those who looked, act, dressed, talked, and, and thought differently than he did. We know how he felt because of the fourth chapter. 
He was mad at God because he knew that God would forgive the people and not destroy the town. Jonah thought it would be best if the town got destroyed. Please, God, wipe them off the face of the earth. They don't worship you. They don't care for others. They are morally bankrupt. What kind of world would this be if if their way of living spread across the world? God, get rid of them. But we know the story. God doesn't wipe them from the face of the earth. In fact, God forgives them. What does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about our Creator? Do we hear the voice of God telling us to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel message? What is God asking of all of you? Can you think of a time when you acted like Jonah? Now, I don't mean running away from God because we already talked about that. Uh, what I wonder is if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you thought you knew what God's plan was, when you thought you knew who was in the kingdom and who was out. We hear the message that Jesus taught, that we are to love our neighbors, but also that we need to love our enemies. So the enemy thing is a whole different subject, and and maybe we'll get to that, but I think it's more important to talk about who our neighbor is. Nineveh would have been a neighbor to Israel, albeit a distant one, if you look at geography, but a neighbor nonetheless, and Jonah didn't want to interact with them, actually wanted them dead. But God had a different plan Do you have a neighbor that that you don't talk to? I shouldn't look at Dave and Carol and Paul. Uh, (laughs) Although they are sitting in different areas of the sanctuary, so I don't know. But do you have a neighbor that you don't talk to? One that might look different. One that might think different. One that might worship different than you do. Are these reasons not to have a conversation? I mean, do our differences prohibit us from building relationships? Absolutely not. Does God not love them just as much as God loves you? God loves our neighbors just as much as he loves us. He loves all of creation. His desire is this reconciliation. See, here is one place where we get in the way of God's love. When we begin thinking that we in the Western world are the ones that have this whole Christianity thing right. When did God plant within us the divine knowledge of the perfect way to worship, to pray, to love, to do justice, and to, and to love mercy? Think about it for a minute. How much have we learned from different cultures on diverse ways of worshiping God? Contemplative prayer is a beautiful practice which has its origins in the monastic life, much out of the early church in Europe. 
Some of the most soul-wrenching and spirit-celebrating songs have come from old spirituals, from our African-American sisters and brothers. We can learn what it means to be a loving and caring community, a true locked-in community from the indigenous people in this land. We've learned the power of Tung Sung Kido, praying out loud from our Korean siblings in Christ. And we can learn how to persevere from so many Christians living in areas where they are not allowed to worship anything but the state-sponsored religion in their area. And we all know that there are places out there. Brothers and sisters, this may be a radical statement, but Christianity is not centered in the United States. In fact, I would, I would wonder if there's a center of the Christian world, if anywhere, I feel it would be the Holy Land where the birth of our faith happened. But God's kingdom is global. It is global. I heard a pastor once talk about how he described his vocation as a pastor. He was talking to a woman on an airplane, and, and when she asked, him what he, she asked him what he did. Now, I know these conversations well. It usually goes one of two ways. Either the person completely shuts down and won't say another word to you, or they won't stop talking. Many times, I guess, looking for some type of confessional booth, regardless of where I happen to be at that time. Well, he began telling her that, that he worked for a global enterprise with outlets in virtually every country. That this enterprise had schools, it had hospitals and hospices and, and homeless shelters. He explained that they did marriage work and had orphanages and they had feeding programs and worked on justice and reconciliation issues. He said that basically we look after people from birth to death and deal in the area of behavioral alteration. <laughs> Isn't this right? <laughs> you know, we belong to Journey of Hope. But it is far more than just that. We participate in God's kingdom, which is not just here, and certainly is not just for those who look and act like us. God's message is a message of grace for all people. So you see, when we start to think that we know better or that we understand better than God as to who is deserving of that love, we begin acting like Jonah. When we begin thinking that God has only blessed a certain few, a certain part of the world, we begin to alter our outlook on our neighbors. And it's a slippery slope, which will get us to the point of thinking that just because we don't like that group of people, whatever that group of people is for you, that God shouldn't save them too. We put God in a box and try to tell him that we don't want those people to receive the grace of God. How audacious of us. I mean, when you hear that, can you also hear God cringing at the thought that part of his creation would try to limit God's power and God's love? How 
absolutely absurd. Who have you wanted to exclude from God's kingdom in the past? What groups of people, possibly other areas of the world, have you decided aren't worthy of God's grace? There was a question asked, and I shared this with, uh, with a number of you, uh, maybe in, even on a Sunday morning, I don't remember. But, uh, so if it is a story you've heard before, look for something new in it. <laughs> but I, I was going through my ordination interviews, and actually it was my commissioning interviews, which was the step before ordination, uh, and a question was asked of me. And that question was, it was kind of role-playing, uh, one of the interviewees said, okay, so I'm a Muslim, does that mean I don't get to heaven? And I had no idea how to answer the question. I had a year's worth of reflection about that question when I came back up before the Board of Ordination. uh, And they asked the question again. I said, so I'm a Muslim. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Hindu. You name it. I'm an atheist. Does that mean I don't get to heaven? My answer is first of all, I am not God. And thank heavens, I am not. The second part of that question, or the second part of that answer is this. God chooses how to apply the divine merits of what Christ did on the cross to whoever God wants to. I'm reminded of a story that uh, there was uh, that we talk about this this atheist friend that, that that some of us have, but they but they live this wonderful life. They they care for others. They they love their neighbors. They they work for justice and mercy. They're, they're surrounded by all this stuff that that is exactly what God is calling us to do, and they keep doing it over and over and over again. And finally, the time comes when when they pass on. And envision this, I I don't know if the heaven is the pearly gates or not, but that's what we hear about is the pearly gates and he arrives up there and, and he looks at the face of Jesus Christ and he sees him and he says, it was you all along. Didn't have the words to describe who it was that he was following, but he knew it was Jesus Christ when he recognized him. If God wants to apply the merits of what Christ did on the cross to any of those others that we name others, then that is God, not us. We're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we are to live this life as an example, leading people to Jesus Christ, to a relationship with Christ. We do that the best we can. But it's not ours to say that this is the exact way that you need to do something. We point them to Jesus Christ and allow God to do that reconciliation work within their lives. Let us not be Jonah. 
Let us not be the one who says, God, no, I'm not going to preach that message. I'm not going to go and talk to those people because I don't want them in your kingdom. Let us truly love our neighbors because we want them in the kingdom. We want to participate in the kingdom with all of them. Will you pray with me? God, sometimes there are messages that we hear are difficult. Difficult sometimes because maybe we feel like we knew better. That we hear this story once again told again of Jonah and how Jonah wanted to exclude people from your kingdom. God, let us not be like Jonah. Let us hear your call to go to different places and to, and to share your love and the hope and faith that we have in you. And God, if we have remembered any of those times when we have done that, God, let us lift up that prayer that Jonah had prayed. That prayer that says that, God, man, we were so far away from you when we were trying to, trying to exclude people. But yet when our life was fainting away, we remembered you. And our prayer came to you in your holy temple. And so with a voice of thanksgiving, we sacrifice to you. And and what we vow, we will pay. Salvation belongs to you. Salvation belongs only to you. And let us truly hear your voice. Especially when, when decisions like this and when, when actions that you are calling to, to us to go to are, are difficult. Allow us to truly hear you speak and encourage us and guide us along this path. Let us truly love our neighbors because everyone is our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask that you would stand as you are able and join in our, uh, in our closing hymn as we share this wonderful song. There is a There is a balm in Gilead. There is a balm for all of us here at Journey of Hope. And it is God that is calling us to reconcile our relationship with Him and then to love our neighbors. And that balm is what we offer. It's what God offered to us first and then we extend that and and express that to others around us. And so if there's that place, if there's a group or a person that you feel that you're starting to act like Jonah with, that you're feeling maybe don't deserve God's love, may you accept that balm into yourself so that you can reach out to them and have a conversation, maybe even with your neighbor to your left or to your right. Maybe it's just to go across the hall and share some wonderful conversation with your brothers and sisters. Get that strength and that encouragement 
to go out and do likewise. And now, go knowing that the love of God and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you. And it goes with you always. Amen.